This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You're live with the App Show. Mike Eggerbo here with fellow app nerds John Beeler and Graham Williams. Got an awesome show today. Uh, we'll be uh, chatting later on about music subscription services. I think a lot of people have uh, signed up for Spotify or Apple, maybe even using Amazon Music. Well, there's another big one out there called Tidal, and we'll be exploring why you might want to have a look at that if you are really into music and the overall quality of the the sound of it. There's some really cool things happening with that. We'll also be talking about uh, Huawei in a couple different uh, aspects. Uh, in a bit here, we've got Kirk LaPointe on uh, from Business in Vancouver. He's the publisher and editor-in-chief over there. And uh, we'll be chatting about Huawei's 5G ambitions here in Canada just kind of falling apart right now. TELUS and Bell have announced that they are going to go another direction using Nokia's technology instead. Uh, and we'll be chatting... Uh, what the Trudeau government uh, is doing and as far as their decision uh, moving forward. They were supposed to have made one already, but uh, they haven't, and uh, we'll be chatting about why. Let's talk about some of the uh, news in the app world uh, right now, guys. Uh, interesting uh, article we've got up on our website, getconnectedmedia.com, talking about uh, a cool camera app called Anonymous Camera. Graham, tell us more. So this is a, a really cool app for uh, sharing video or uh, images online. And uh, the idea here is that it will uh, blur or remove faces and uh, sensitive data that you can then share. So, for example, if you are uh, at a protest, these things happen from time to time. Yes. Uh, and you want to be able to uh, share an image without violating the privacy of people around you, um, it uses AI to auto-detect uh, people in the image and then can automatically block and blur those faces out. It'll also strip the metadata out. We've actually talked about a few apps uh, on this show that, that do that as well. So, you know, removing things like the location data, the type of camera that took it, um, and basically, again, sort of anonymizing that image so it can be shared without being traced back to a particular person. One thing I thought was really kind of cool about it is it actually has the ability to to uh, alter your voice as well, to, to hide it. Kind of like when you see those, you know, uh, deep throat reporter interviews where they have they've mechanically changed their voices you can kind of do that with this app as well yeah really really great way to make sure that people are able to share information that probably does need to be seen but without being perhaps targeted by people that uh, may not be happy that, that information is being shared again if you want to link to that app and a little bit more information check out our website getconnectedmedia.com and it's called anonymous camera Graham, big announcement this week, and I know you are just probably drooling all about it. Uh, Sony has uh, brought out details about their their last console. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Uh, so the PlayStation 5 uh, was, was just revealed, and I've got to say it is absolutely gorgeous. Um, you know, we, we were looking at uh, sort of the progression from the original Xbox and the PlayStation to sort of these blocky representations of technology from the mid-2000s. And this thing looks like a sports car. It actually reminds me of the BMW i8. It's beautiful, white, black, blue. Um, it, it's got these beautiful flowing lines. And one thing that's really fun. So, you know, people love their Blu-rays still. Um, it is a 4K Blu-ray player if you want it to be because there's also a model that's actually shipping without a disk drive so that you can now uh, basically download all of your games from the PlayStation Store and not have to worry about having those discs in your house anymore. I thought the the design of this console was pretty stunning. It feels like accessories from the movie Tron. 
Yeah. Or Westworld. Like the new, the, or yeah, Westworld. Yeah. Um, it just has that, that sleek white look. It has, you know, the, the subdued LED blue lighting and all that kind of stuff. It looks really cool stuff. I've got to say, because I mean, a lot of home theater gear has always been this piano shiny black, which is the worst thing on the planet for collecting dust. Yes. Um, you know, they, they went with sort of a matte finish for the PlayStation 4, which was beautiful. But I, I have this gorgeous white living room where everything is pristine and very Nordic and it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. So it, I, it feels like PlayStation sort of reached into my design ethos and went, here, we've designed a console for you, which kind of makes sense because when you think about it, the average age of a gamer right now is 37 years old, both male and female. And so the design aesthetic of, you know, 15 years ago was reaching out to a much, much younger audience. Somebody's looking for something that does kind of look like, you know, big, beefy machinery, unrestrained power, whereas this thing looks just sexy is actually a really great way to describe it. What's funny about this entire conversation, Graham, so far is that we haven't really even talked about what it does like what's what's on the inside what's so good about this it's all about how cool it looks i mean the one interesting point you brought out uh, was that it's got a 4k blu-ray disc player in it which is interesting Uh, we've actually got a good article up on our website uh, uh, asking whether uh, physical media like blu-ray discs are dead or not and you would be surprised at how many people are still buying the uh, the high def 4k uh, discs because the the quality to them is uh, you know much better than the digital copies that we're getting off of, uh, um, you know, online or uh, or streaming through Netflix. That's the oh. primary reason why I bought an Xbox One is for the 4K uh, DVD capability, of, of Blu-ray capability for uh, the 4K TV that I have, and it is phenomenal. And I I get it. I have all my favorite movies on Blu-ray for that reason. So if we do actually go back to what this thing is supposed to do, as opposed to look pretty in my home theater stand, um, it obviously is the next generation of gaming consoles. So incredibly fast processors, um, very fast GPU, graphics processing unit, uh, tons more RAM. Uh, the big one for Sony, though, is adding a, an SSD, right, a solid state disk. And so the, the idea here is now that games can be written for SSD. And I can hear all of my PC gaming brethren out there saying what, PCs have had an SSD for a while. Not every developer has been able to rely on the fact that an SSD would be there. So now games are going to be developed with that speed in mind, and that's going to be absolutely fantastic for gamers out there. Well, from what I read, uh, every game has to load onto that drive uh, to actually play on uh, the unit uh, itself. Any idea when this thing's coming out, Graham? It's going to be November. Wow. Coming. I'm going to start lining up in October. Well, uh, I don't have much time here, but uh, my two cents is this is probably be one of their last consoles uh, that uh, come out before consoles aren't a thing anymore because we will just be streaming game, games from the cloud to our devices, which sure. is happening now with a, a lot of uh, services like Stadia and PlayStation Now and uh, what have you. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. Uh, we have so much to talk about on today's program. We'll be talking about 5G and uh, what the future of that is here in Canada now that... Uh, the big players are not using their networking equipment in their network uh, build-outs. Uh, we will also be talking about music subscription services and maybe why you want to switch to Tidal. And finally, if uh, you have an old BlackBerry, John's got a way you can play some old Atari games on it. We'll tell you all about that. Like, you just gave away the punchline. Well, they don't know how to do it, so we're going to explain how. So there's still some magic left in that. Okay, you're listening to The App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with the program. Mike Agarbo here with uh, John Beeler. Want to talk about uh, 5G technology. Kind of uh, 
drifting out there right now with the uh, pandemic. There's been a lot of talk about 5G technology here in Canada, especially when it comes to Huawei, who were, were I guess, uh, pegged to supply a lot of the uh, the infrastructure for a couple of the big uh, carriers here uh, in our country, uh, including TELUS uh, and Bell. And uh, just recently, they both announced that uh, they won't be uh, using any of the Huawei equipment going uh, forward. To date, uh, there hasn't been any word from the Canadian government on uh, their stance on it. Uh, Here a little bit more uh, on the thoughts. We have Kirk LaPointe. He is the the man behind business in Vancouver. Thanks for joining us, Kirk. Great to be here. Thanks. So I, I found it interesting. I think the uh, the carriers were kind of waiting and waiting and waiting for the government to uh, announce their official uh, position, but uh, that has never come. I don't know when it's coming. Uh, and uh, now they have uh, announced themselves that they're not going to be going forward with uh, Huawei. What, what's happening with the government? Uh, why are they uh, waffling on this? It's almost like the decision doesn't need to come now. No. <laughs> You've got the, the large telecommunications firms all basically aligned around uh, technology with Ericsson and Nokia, and Huawei is a shutout. Obviously, there's still lots of Huawei technology in our country, and I don't think that that's going to be shipped out. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's in earlier, uh, earlier versions. But uh, even the delay of the Spectrum auction uh, the government's doing, I mean, it, it appears to just not be making any considerable decisions around anything uh, at the moment that isn't uh, directly related to COVID-19. And... You know, you could see that uh, the patience was wearing very, very thin, even pre-pandemic, with the carriers. I mean, please, you know, make up our mind, tell us what the rules are, and then we'll figure it out. Uh, and no question, the apprehension of Meng Wanzhou and, and, you know, her interminable extradition hearing has probably complicated matters for the Trudeau government, as has the case of just the overall relationship with China, some of which flows from her apprehension, but some of it is also based on some other things. So yeah, the Trudeau government was just in a <laughs> major passage of dithering here and, uh, and it hasn't been able to get out of the ditch on this one. Um, I don't, I don't know whether uh, you know, there's any kind of conclusion you can make about what uh, the liberal government was trying to do. I think it was under hefty pressure from the United States. And I, and I don't mean Donald Trump, because I think people look at Donald Trump and think, well, you know, it's, Maybe he'll, he won't be here much longer or, or you know, he kind of loses his attention on all these things. Now, I think the considerable pressure was coming most likely from a combination of the Department of Justice and then uh, a great deal from the carriers themselves in the United States who must have been telling the Canadian carriers for some time, listen, you know, you, you want your customers to come down here and be using our roaming services. You want them to, you want to tie up the internet of things. Um, cross-border and we don't want this company in our in our midst do you really think we're going to let you have this company in your midst and then play fair with you so so i think that there's considerable pressure there as well it wasn't just governmental dithering that you know made this uh, happen the way it did last week i think it has a lot to do with just the pure business relationships that, that's one of the things i was thinking about it was the fact that they were just basically stalling until Trump leaves office or something changes with that, that uh, the Huawei situation with him and his government. But uh, I think your points are, are quite, quite on point. I think the, the, the possibility there, you know, I think they were waiting for the double, double criminality decision from the court, assuming that that was perhaps the, the most likely way that Meng Wanzhou would 
would be able to go home and where you'd get a little bit of a reset in the relationship between Canada and China. Uh, but obviously, she's going to be here for quite some time now. Uh, you know, the, this extradition hearing, unless the Americans decide, uh, and and you know, my I have a bit of a theory about this one that maybe now there's no possible way that Huawei is going to be on the continent serving up 5G technology, um, even though Canada, I think, has left the door open for some of it. Uh, that uh, that maybe the Americans go well. This this personal uh, extradition hearing and and prosecution that's very much unlike the way they've been dealing with with issues involving uh you know alleged espionage on their technology uh maybe maybe we can just let her go let her go and prosecute her in absentia and find the company and restrict it because really the restriction is now there americans won't use the technology canada is effectively opting out of using the technology so in essence uh did they did they win this the americans like they they didn't oh, yeah. want huawei here in 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 the oh, yeah. continent yeah no no we were we were really between the proverbial rock and a hard place <laughs> you know our two largest trading partners on opposite sides of the issue here we are rather puny next to them you know one sixteenth the size of the american economy and and vastly less of the chinese economy and we needed uh, we needed at least one of them to like us, <laughs> and, uh, and and none of them like us really. <laughs> so you know, we, we we kind of have at least our closest neighbor somewhat not despising us, if you want to look at it in that way. So, so I'll, I'll still be able to go down and get cheap gas and milk eventually. Uh, well, yeah, don't count on it tomorrow. Though. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's interesting with Telus and Bell. Um, you know, I, I guess my thought too is that uh, they're large corporations and they they needed certainty as well. They couldn't let this keep drifting and drifting for for months on end. They have shareholders. Uh, you know, they've got networks that have to roll out. So, you know, they had to make a decision at uh, at a certain point. Yeah, and they and I think they felt comforted by the fact that Rogers was an early adopter with uh, the Ericsson Nokia uh, combo and. Uh, and uh, most likely we're asking them a lot of questions about uh, their own um, their own approaches on this one. And if the technology is acceptable, and I think I think there was a price point issue, obviously, for the, for the companies. Huawei was offering a considerably better deal in implementation, but, but in the end, uh, you're right. I mean, how long can you wait, basically hold this back? Um, America was moving forward with 5G, Canada was stuck and and uh, without you know being able to really go forward with the exception of one carrier that seemed prepared to integrate uh you know the ericsson nokia technology into the system um you couldn't have these two major carriers of bell and telus sit on the sidelines and wait and wait and wait because at some point it becomes um even more uncompetitive for canada in the global picture uh, to just kind of be stuck in a 4G era when, uh, or at least most of its infrastructure in the 4G era, when everybody else is building things uh, with uh, with the new technology. We're talking with Kirk LaPointe. He's the publisher and editor-in-chief at Business in Vancouver uh, Media Group, uh, all about uh, the 5G uh, technology networks uh, here in Canada. Uh, I guess Trudeau's government not making a decision uh, and don't seem to have much on the horizon for that, uh, and maybe they don't need to uh, anymore. Uh, I, I guess one thought, too, Telus and Bell might have been holding out for a bit of compensation for the money they've already invested uh, in their networks with Huawei. 
Yeah, I mean, you do wonder about the so-called future considerations that come into this because, um, on the other hand, I'm not so sure that their decision necessarily alleviates the Trudeau government of any international concerns it might have. I think there, we haven't seen any evidence yet that China is prepared for another wave of, of uh, you know, punitive measures, uh, both for the Meng Wanzhou case, but you know, for this decision in particular, uh, I. You know, I, I'm not sure we're going to see those necessarily during the pandemic. I think that this is a time for um, for countries by and large to play nice with each other uh, by virtue of, you know, a lot of the public health information that we have to share and obviously some of the trade lines that have to reopen. And, and uh, so in a way, we can't afford to uh, alienate each other terribly much. But um, but that day may come. Um, I, I'm not so sure that, uh, that either TELUS or... You know, or, or Bell were fully expecting that they'd get some kind of uh, infrastructure support for this. But they did, if, as you recall, like they were lobbying very heavily for that um, about a year ago, which is if, if you don't want us, if, if you're not going to sanction Huawei, if you're not going to let the market decide how it is that we choose 5G technology to implement, we've got billions of dollars sunk in right now. And, uh, and we've got uh, lots of research taking place in this country uh, that needs to be somehow um, compensated for. So it's possible that this future consideration is coming. Uh, I haven't heard of any. Our reporters can't can find that out yet, and it doesn't appear to be something that they're discussing. We've been talking with Kirk LaPointe, uh, publisher and editor-in-chief at Business and Vancouver Media Group. Uh, he's done a fantastic article uh, going through uh, some of the finer points on this and uh, your opinions uh, as well. So I encourage our listeners to check that out, BIV.com, right? You bet. Very good. Thanks for joining us today, Kirk. Great to be with you. Thanks a lot for your time. We come back from the break. More apps to talk about here on The App Show. Stay tuned. You are back with The App Show. Mike, John, and Graham here today. Let's talk music subscription services. Uh, So many people are using that now. Not using the CDs or the cassette tapes anymore. Uh, music subscription services uh, literally count in the hundreds of millions uh, now between Spotify and Apple Music and uh, Amazon. Another service out there that some people aren't aware of, or actually many, I think, uh, would be Tidal. And uh, we want to talk about that today and uh, some of the advantages that it has uh, over uh, the others uh, out there right now. Graham, maybe give a, a quick synopsis of uh, where Tidal came from. Sure. So when you take a look at music streaming services right now, they're good enough, right? Like it really comes down to the audio quality of what it is that we're listening to. And for a lot of people, if you're listening on a pair of, uh, you know, AirPods or uh, other inexpensive headphones, it sounds okay. Uh, For people who do really like to get into their music, though, uh, the bit rate of of your music actually matters. This kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Blu-ray earlier is uh, that bit rate is not as high on streaming. So there's there's got to be a bit of a middle ground between, you know, having the original CD in your house, having the original Blu-ray in your house and the streaming that we have. And so Tidal has basically found that space, which is a uh, higher bit rate, higher quality audio um, for people who have sound systems that can support it. So if you're listening on a, a pair of reference bookshelf speakers or some high-end headphones uh, and you've got the ears that can hear this sort of thing, uh, this is really appealing for a lot of people. But Tidal is more expensive because of that. It is, yeah. Now, their their value proposition has been to folks who 
again, would pay money for a pair of reference bookshelf speakers or expensive headphones. So I think uh, the folks out there who consider themselves audiophiles, uh, they're willing to pay the money. Uh, they have started to add some additional things on as well, though. They've included things like uh, music videos or um, you know specific mastered tracks that are designed solely for them. Uh, the big one recently, though, is the addition of Dolby Atmos for music. And, and why is that a big deal? Uh, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of us keep seeing that, but not fully understanding what Dolby Atmos is. This is uh, a way to, you know, they, the way they put it is to really immerse yourself in music. So when you think about surround sound, right, you've got those channels that are in front of you. Um, you've got, got, got those channels beside you. You've got those channels behind you. You've got the subwoofer that's really rounding out the, uh, the low end. Uh, the only other place that we could go literally is up. And so that's actually what Atmos does is it gives you that... Uh, height speaker as well to give you some sound that can envelop you over top of you. Uh, when this originally rolled out, it was in theaters, and so they had the ability to very easily put speakers uh, into the ceiling. Um, we saw a lot of folks out there start to do that as Atmos came out as a standard, you know, basically throw some uh, in-ceiling speakers in. Sonance had some really great models that did this, as did Triad. Um, but for a lot of us, I mean, I've got a concrete ceiling. I can't put speakers up there. So we're sort of, we're starting to see more and more sound bars that are using reflective technology. And so basically it bounces the sound off your ceiling and back down to you. Um, so Tidal's taking advantage of that. And if, if you do really love to get into your music, there's really no other way to do that than this. It, it, it is interesting. Um, I think a lot of us are used to paying the, the $10 a month for the streaming, uh, the music subscription, you know, be it Spotify or uh, Apple. I actually have both. I don't know why. <laughs> One part of my family likes Apple. The other part likes Spotify. Um, and I look at Tidal, and I think, you know, to get the the high-quality version, I think, was it like 23 or $27 a month? It's about that, yeah. Yeah. And so I just look at that, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's so stupidly expensive. But then I think back to the CD days. How much How much were CDs? 20 to 30 bucks a pop. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, yeah, they were they were hitting up at around 20 bucks. Uh, $23, uh, you know, during the, the end of times there for CDs. And I was buying a few of them a month. Like I was probably spending 60 bucks a month on CDs. So the value is incredible now. Like you literally, when you subscribe to one of these services, they have tens of millions of songs. And, and we're like, oh my God, I got to pay 10 or $20 a month. Like we are living the dream. Could you imagine like 20 years ago if, uh, you know, I said to you, you know what, you know, all, all the CDs you're buying right now, you're spending like 50 bucks to 75 bucks a month on all of them. How about for $10 a month, you can have access to like 25 million songs. That would blow your mind. It's a little like going to the buffet. Yes. Right? I mean, we used to dine out with our CDs at, you know, $30 a pop a couple of times a month and the food was good. It was really great quality. And, you know, you, you took the time to really enjoy that meal. You dug into every party, you cleaned your plate. Uh, now we're at the buffet of streaming. So can you remember the last time you sat down and listened to an entire album on your streaming service? No. The, the problem I have with streaming now is just finding the right playlist. Remember in the old days? Yeah, you'd sit down and listen to a whole album. Maybe you had a CD that had a mix, you know, like the Much Music Mix albums uh, or, or CDs. Now, like I just have anxiety, like trying to find the right playlist. Like I used to try to make my own. Oh my God, that was just a nightmare. You know, because you just get so into trying to find the right songs. I kind of gave up on that and I'm just lazy. And thank God for Alexa. Uh, and I've got my Sono system. I just say, hey, play some smooth music or <laughs> play something. Oh, I should have shut Alexa off here. Uh, I think one of the interesting things about Tidal, though, that I didn't realize until I looked into it is 
aside from the uh, artist-owned cooperative that sort of founded it all, um, Jay-Z being one of the, the main uh, founders of it, um, one of the interesting things that they offer that I haven't really seen uh, at least as deep of an offering anywhere else is the live music and concert series that they, they, they offer. They actually have a, an amazing uh, YouTube channel where it's all free uh, to watch um, but there's even more on the service. So that would, if you're really like live music, especially when we can't get it right now, that might be a compelling thing to take a look at. Um, and th- the service does start around $13 Canadian and goes up to 27, depending on the quality that you're, you want to buy into. So, um, it's, you know, kind of like you said, it's still a pretty good value for what you're getting. And if you're getting some artists that you can't see in concert right now, that might be a compelling reason at least to give it a try. I, I haven't signed up for it yet, but I, I am going to try it, to be honest, because I, I love music, and I've got a half-decent um, uh, stereo system in my family room here now, So uh, and I, I love I love listening to concerts, uh, especially ones that, uh, you know, like a video uh, version of that, so uh, I will have to uh, check that out. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, so much more to talk about here on the App Show. Later on, John's going to tell us the magic way to play Atari games on your old BlackBerry. I don't know how you even booted up a BlackBerry to find this out, but we'll get into that. Uh, But coming up next, uh, we'll be talking about uh, the app stores. And if you've uh, got one of the new Huawei phones or looking at one of them, uh, they don't have the Google Play app store anymore. You have to use the Huawei version, and we'll tell you uh, what you need to do to find your favorite apps. You're listening to the App Show here on the Course Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here. i got fellow uh, app nerds, Graham and John, with me. And we are going to talk about apps and how to get them. If you have been following the uh, the Huawei saga and the ongoing trade war with the uh, U.S. and China, uh, you'll uh, soon learn that if you are going to purchase one of the new Huawei phones, and they are pretty amazing as far as the technology and the cameras go, they are using Android as well, but uh, they don't have the Google uh, mobile services uh, on there. So it doesn't come with uh, the Google Play Store where you would get apps. Uh, it doesn't come with things like YouTube and Gmail. You have to get apps other ways. So uh, currently right now, this would be some of their newer models, the uh, Huawei Mate 30 Pro. And uh, the newest one coming out here, I believe in July, the P40 Pro. And, uh, you know, John, you and I have had uh, a chance to try these phones out, uh, uh, you know, over the past six months uh, or even past year and a half, really, uh, the different models. Yep. And they've got some of the the better cameras out in the marketplace right now. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, we're everybody on the show right now, we're all Apple people primarily. But um, Huawei really made me interested in the Android tech because they just seem to be doing things a little bit faster and further ahead than everybody else. And uh, I'm still rocking the P30 Pro that um, I've had for about a year now. So, and it's, it's my favorite Android phone. Um, It has everything I need. It's got an amazing camera. Um, Unlike the P40 that you have, Mike, though, mine does have the Google stuff. So yes, um, I don't have the same problem you have yet, but when I do want to upgrade this phone, then um, I'm going to have to see what my options are. Um, and so you you tried out this pedal app. Yeah, this is uh, interesting. Uh, at first, I was I was concerned. I thought, oh, my God, they're dead. Like, if you don't have the Google Play Store, how are you going to get apps on there? Well, it's surprisingly easy. Uh, and again, you have to keep in mind that uh, Android is an open source operating system. Uh, what Google has done is kind of Googled it. 
Uh, they've given it their Google flavor by putting the Google, uh, you know, mobile services uh, on it uh, and putting their, you know, Google Android Play Store on there too. Uh, but uh, something to keep in mind, there are other Android app stores out there. You know, a famous one would be Amazon uh, for their Kindle uh, tablets and, and what have you. They have got their own Amazon uh, Android uh, store that, uh, you know, optimizes Android apps to, to work really well on their uh, their gear. So uh, Huawei, they have created their own as well. It's called the Huawei, uh, Huawei, the Huawei App Gallery. And uh, they are spending untold sums of money to, to get uh, apps in there, like all your favorite ones. So that's still ongoing. Uh, the challenge is not all of them are in there. So that's where some of these uh, alternative app stores come in. And so now, just recently, they have... Uh, uh, instituted a new thing called Petal Search, and that's uh, like the flower petal, P-E-T-A-L. Uh, you can basically go into their app store and download that. And from there, you can find pretty well every Android app that you want to get a hold of, Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook. Uh, you basically do a search. It'll pop up uh, right on the screen there where you can get it from. You click it, and it installs right on the phone. It's, it's dead easy on it. And so the nice thing, too, uh, which was a concern about going to sometimes these alternative app stores is that uh, it does provide the updates as well. There's a section in there that you can go to to update those apps uh, as you go along. Is it perfect? No, but uh, it it makes it super easy to get the apps at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see how well uh, their phones do uh, over the uh, the next six months. From what we've seen on some of the uh, uh, the sales numbers, uh, they're still killing it as far as, uh, uh, you know, phone sales uh, around the world. Uh, still really big in Europe uh, as well. I think, I think that was probably the the main reservation that a lot of people had was, you know, how do I get these apps onto my phone? So uh, I guess if you're out there and you've been looking at a Huawei and you've been a little hesitant, now could be the time. Yeah, Um you know, again, John, I just point to the cameras. Uh, I think the cameras on here are fantastic, especially if uh, you are a photography enthusiast, whether that be amateur uh, or, you know, up up there. I know, John, you are really good at photography and, and you just, you even love the night mode on those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the key point though. And I think that's probably why they're so popular in a lot of places is even without the Google side of the equation, there's still really great hardware at a very compelling price compared to some of its other flagship competitors. So if you want to get all of those bells and whistles, some new, even bleeding edge stuff, um, a little app workaround is not a big deal for most people. And and they certainly made it even simpler with this pedal app. Sideloading isn't that complicated. It's just, it can be a little tricky if you've never done it before. And this app sort of removes that uh, nerdy side hustle thing you have to do before. Yeah, uh, again, it'll be interesting to see how the sales go overall. Apparently, they're still uh, selling well with their uh, phones. And from what I understand, uh, the new uh, P40 Pro, which will be coming out, which is their new flagship phone, uh, I think, uh, again, in July, we haven't got an exact date on that. Uh, it looks like all the major carriers here in Canada are going to be picking uh, picking it up. So uh, if you want some more information on this, we've actually got a few uh, great videos on our YouTube channel at uh, Get Connected uh, Media. And you can go to our website as well. We'll have a tutorial on uh, how you can uh, get those uh, apps into your Huawei phone. It's uh, uh, pretty simple. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. And John, when we come back, we're going to talk Atari on a BlackBerry. <laughs> and, I, and I'm going to be curious to understand how you even uh, got to that place where you broke out your old BlackBerry <laughs> and thought, I'm going to load some Atari games on here. So stay tuned. You're listening to The App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. 
You are back with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here with uh, John Beeler and Graham Williams. Let's talk Atari. John, you are the retro king, the retro gaming yes. king. I love it too. Make no mistake. I've actually got uh, one of those little Raspberry Pi uh, computers set up uh, to play all my favorite old uh, games, be it Atari or arcade games. You have found a way to get some old Atari stuff on a BlackBerry. How did, how did you... <laughs> How did you wake up in the morning and think this is where I gotta what I gotta do today? So so recently I I posted about uh, the Odroid Go Advance, which is uh, a really cool little handheld console that you can buy that is basically like a Raspberry Pi four, and it can emulate everything, including Dreamcast, Nintendo sixty four, PlayStation you name it, it can play it, and it plays it really well and really effectively. But my uh, personal favorite all-time computer of all time was the Atari 8-bit computer line. This is what I had when I was a kid. Um, I got an Atari 800XL for Christmas one year, and I had all the other computers that they made. We could only afford the Atari 400. You guys were rich. (laughs) Well, I I didn't even get the 400, though. That was a couple years later that the 800 came out. So you had had a couple years on on me on that. Okay. Anyways... I was playing, I found out that you can actually install the uh, Atari 800, which is sort of the, covers all the 8-bit uh, games and ROMs and things like that on the Odroid. But the problem is, is that this is a game console and it just has... Like, like a, a Game D-pad. Boy. Yeah, it has, yeah. A, it has a D-pad, like joysticks and buttons, but it doesn't have a keyboard. And those old Atari computers were really kind of cool because you plug them into your TV and you had a keyboard, you had a, a plug-in for an Atari joystick and... So you could use the keyboard and the joystick at the same time for some games. And playing that on the emulator, it was just like, well, some of my favorite games, you need a keyboard to play, even just to start it. Like, uh, it's kind of crazy. And I was going down Nostalgia Lane, going through all the games. And by the way, you can get pretty much every game ever made for the Atari on um, the Internet Archive, archive.org, and just go into software and then pick your favorite console, computer, whatever from any time. They've got millions of games and apps and all the stuff for that stuff. It's really cool, and it's completely free. But anyways, I was like, it'd be really nice if I had a keyboard on this thing, but then it would be like, why don't I just use my computer? But the whole idea is to have this something that's portable. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, I have this BlackBerry Android phone that has a keyboard this is a key to le uh, that i had for a review a couple years ago and it's an android phone and android has a really good version of the atari emulator on it so i now have the ability to play all my favorite atari games with a keyboard and there's even an on-screen joystick if you want it but a lot of the games that i wanted to play need a keyboard and you can even remap your buttons to use the keyboard uh, if you want to play with like a joystick style like you know the typical gaming keyboard style the WASD. And it's completely free, and it's super fun. It's really faithful music. <laughs> How do you have time to do this? I don't understand. I, I don't. What do you think I do all day, Mike? I'll play Atari games, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Okay, I think we are out of time here, but I want to call out the website again. Getconnectedmedia.com. Got tons of great uh, articles and uh, videos and blogs up there. And, of course, the contest giving away a Belkin accessory prize pack uh, this month. You want to see what's in it? Got to go to our website and subscribe to our newsletter. Again, getconnectedmedia.com. want to thank uh, Graham and John, as always, uh, fantastic uh, co-hosts here on the program. And I want to thank the rest of the team, Christina, Paul, Nigel, and Stephen, and AJ. We'll see you again next time. 
You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.